Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Today on the podcast, we have Todd Riccio. He is a longtime investor with uh, Enterprise Property Management and EPM Real Estate. And we're going to talk a little bit about how he has become interested in the Memphis real estate market and maybe even a few tips and, and bits of wisdom that Todd has had over the years investing uh, here in Memphis. Todd, you have been an investor with Enterprise Property Management for six years. Is that right? Yeah, six. Yep. Wow. So, and it's been a fast six years, right? Like you've, you really got in at a great time. Yeah. I remember flying out to you, man. Well, I, I flew out to you and said, look, I, uh, my goal is to get, you know, 40 to 50 properties. I want to get at least one to two a year. And uh, you said, you know, this right now, when we spoke, you said it's the equivalent of California's 2009. And six years later, you were pretty accurate, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Because the prices have gone up and the properties that... I first bought on uh, Ross Road and stuff like that. That was like one hundred and five thousand. You know, probably like two fifty right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, real estate agent out here in California. Obviously, prices make it extremely hard for me to build a portfolio out here when the average house in Memphis that would be one hundred and twenty thousand out there would probably be about seven hundred thousand out here. So, you know, I knew that kind of branching outside of California would be the best option for me to accomplish my goals of having a portfolio that brings me, you know, 50, 60,000 a month when I get older, you know, that's the goal right there is that's my 401k. That's my pension. That's my retirement or is, is, are these properties? Do you remember what brought you, what brought your attention to Memphis originally? Like what, what caused you to look over in our direction? Yeah, I mean, I I always did a bunch of research. I, I was going to seminars, you know, I'm always looking for passive income. And Memphis was at that time, one of the cities that would always pop up and different websites of, you know, best cities to buy rental properties. And Memphis popped up, Boise popped up, Indianapolis popped up. Fort Lauderdale popped up, you know, um, I think Scottsdale popped up. But Memphis was one that always consistently kind of popped up. I don't, me personally, I don't like um, like panhandle states. I don't like Florida. Every time you turn on the news, Florida is getting a hurricane. They're getting flooded. They're, you know, all this other stuff. Um, there's hurricanes, there's tornadoes. So Memphis was super stable. And I remember when I spoke to you, you said, look, you know, Memphis is pretty much an established metropolis. You know, it's gone through its growth stage and its pullback stage. You got Amazon headquarters there. You got Nike. It's a growing. They're putting money back into the community. You got the Amazon Fulfillment Center. You got Shelby Farms. You know, you got all this stuff. So, you know, it was kind of one of those cities that have already been established. It's not like an up and coming one. Um, and I just felt comfortable. You know, I felt comfortable with you guys. I felt comfortable because I actually flew out. And, you know, me flying out and checking out the different neighborhoods is just one more piece to info gathering and due diligence. And, you know, ever since then, I'm comfortable of knowledge, you know, and I kind of think that that's kind of one of the things that I respect you on is 
You know, there's times where I've said, hey, Aaron, what about this area? And you're like, look, we I don't even think we could get a roofer out there because the neighborhood is, is, you know, not the best or anything like that. And, you know, you need that as an investor because it's not just about numbers of, oh, this is a, a quadplex or a fourplex at this price and the return's good. You need someone that's like boots on the ground that's like, you probably want to like from what you're looking for, Todd, this isn't the neighborhood that you would express to me that you wanted or anything like that. And I appreciate that info. And I think I'm comfortable after the first couple of them to to get in my kind of system now, you know, my my numbers and my algorithms and everything, you know, you know what I'm looking for and stuff like that. So it just seems to be working. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things about working with you that I, I wish that other investors and other uh, clients of mine would adopt uh, is you do have a very decisive um, approach to investment real estate. You understand exactly what it is that you're looking for. I think that you had a, a really good start to your run. You know, we bought some, you know, single level uh, homes in established neighborhoods that were built in the 90s, I believe. Um, so you and and you and I discussed this. We discussed um, in Memphis, you know, w- what generation or, or what age of construction um, is really good for investments in an ongoing manner. And so you and I talked about how like we here in Memphis, you know, if you live in Memphis, if you were if you've you know lived in Memphis for a long time, if you do real estate in Memphis, especially we have a term out here that we use called new construction or newer construction. And so what does that mean to us? Well, new construction basically means anything to me, at least anything that's the late eighties or newer. And why is that different? Well, it's different because um, the, the technologies that we were putting into houses um, as we were building them back then are more durable. You know, we're not dealing with poisonous building materials, you know, such as asbestos or lead. Um, we're not dealing with shoddy uh, electrical uh, lines like aluminum wiring that you found found a lot in the, the 80s or the uh, late 70s all the way up into the early 80s. You're not dealing with things like, uh, I don't know the exact- Asbestos. Right, asbestos. The, it, there's a type of, of plumbing material that the, the Dow uh, oil company, you know, produced. It's con- I think it's called polybuterol or something like that. And so, and which is known to burst, you know, it's like an early PEX. And so if anybody knows what PEX is, and so, you know, like, so we improved, we improved code um, and zoning and this new, these areas of newer construction are also in neighborhoods that are still highly desired by owner occupants. And so Memphis being a wonderful town for investment, you know, you can still get in and buy just like you have. Um, investment property, which is right next door to someone who was on their property for anywhere from 10 to 30 years. Um, and you want to live next door or, or an own investment property next door to that guy, right? You don't want to buy in neighborhoods that are all investment properties. You know, you might as well buy a, a condominium or, or an apartment if you want to do something like that. But you've been very smart. You're like, where, where is the value, right? So I've really appreciated uh, you for that. And then the other thing that I love uh, working with you on is you and I will often get in and we'll talk about a property and it'll get down to $10,000 or $20,000 difference in the price of the negotiation, especially in the last two years. You know, you're like, I really, you know, you'll tell me, you'll say, Aaron, I feel like this is overpriced by 20 grand. What do you think? And I'll be like, yeah, you know, I think it is. And, and it, your Todd, your ability to walk away, you know, from, um, a, a contract that's being negotiated and just say, you know what, 
I didn't like what I saw that the deck, you know, or the roof looks weird or that skylight looks like it's going to need repair. It's always going to be a problem. I'm just going to walk away. But we know that buyers have, you know, can use that inspection as a, um, as an excuse to walk away from something where they don't feel like they're now that they know the house better, they don't feel like they're getting a good deal. And you're very fast to point that out and say, you know what, I'm just going to pull the plug and walk away. And I love that about you. It's really good. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is like, um, I, I, I'm on number, I'm on property number six, you know, and all other five of them that I've gone into contract, I've closed on because I'm also like a realist too, of like, look, at the end of the day, you know, it's one-time fixes and stuff like that. But I think also having experience with the five other properties, I'm becoming more and more uh, anticipatory of like, uh, I know that I'm going to get a letter from you guys saying like, Hey, the, the fence is shot or this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, being in this industry, being in the real estate industry for so long too, I'm all about preventative stuff and, uh, proactiveness and stuff. So very, very rarely do I ever cancel, but this one, I think I was like, look, it's probably like 15, 16, 17 K to get it even rent ready. And after talking to a couple agents, you know, they, they think that it might slow down in November. I don't know if that's true or not, but around like the Thanksgiving time, because I'm always hungry too, to, to, to get minimum one to two a year. So I'm still on the prowl of getting it, but it has to make sense as well. And, and the thing is, is like, um, you know, it's like, um, I've narrowed it down to single story because me and water after being in this industry water does not do well with houses and having a second floor i just get nervous of you know water leaks through the ceiling and stuff so single story brick house for the maintenance two car garage cuz i just value storage and stuff like that a usable yard you know all that stuff where i'm sure other properties would do just as, just as good but this is just what i feel comfortable with because you know you and i always have that conversation of like look Aaron i know the rental market's very active right now and properties are renting pretty quick. But I want the properties that no matter what the rental market is, if it's slow, if it's fast, if it's quick, what properties are going to be in the top 10% to rent out? You know, I don't want the black sheep. I don't want the white elephant. I don't want the ones where in the time where the rental market's good, it gets rented out. But then when it's not good, we're sitting there and stuff like that. So I'm down to pay a little bit extra too. To be like, look, you know, it's cool to have the two-car garage and storage when it's snowing and stuff like that. It's cool to have the brick and single story because that's desirable and stuff like that. It's cool to have a yard because they barbecue and have their kids play outside and stuff. So that's also something that I value as well as your opinion of, you know, this is going to be a very active one no matter what the rental market is as opposed to on the lower end of it when the rental market does slow down. Which uh, it's funny that you should bring that up. So earlier, Todd, you had briefly touched on the fact that there will eventually be a slowdown in the rental market. And, um, and I know that your philosophy is obviously to make sure that you have uh, just operable properties, you know, properties that aren't going to require, uh, they don't require a lot by the renter, for instance, in order to move into, you know, they're relatively simple, relatively basic layouts. There are all kinds of very specific um, preferences that you have that I think really head off these larger maintenance costs. That's really smart. And I agree with you. I want to go back and talk about uh, storage for a second. At least a one-car garage. Man, for years, you and I have talked about, you know, we'll look at a property. You'll say, this one came up. The, the money looks good. Um, and 
every single property that you send me has at least a one car garage, which is very, very smart in Memphis. Memphis is a very typical city of a million, million people, more or less. And so in an urban setting or even a suburban setting uh, that has urban tendencies uh, or an urban demographic, um, you're going to have foot traffic. You're going to have, you know, petty crime, um, you know, and so having an open carport in a city like Memphis uh, is is not a good idea. You know, like in Memphis, you need a garage with a door that shuts. And so you can, you know, keep your outside stuff outside, but also in an enclosed area um, that's secured. So um, another point that I would make to any investor that's looking to purchase property in Memphis is this. If the house that you're looking for uh, or if the house that you find that doesn't have a garage is 10000 15000 or $20,000 cheaper than the house with a garage, buy the house with a garage. From a rental standpoint, it will always stand out to the renter. Um, we have a great house on the market right now. It's a three bedroom, two bath. Um, it's, it's less than 10 years old, has a beautiful, you know, a brick and French country facade. It was one of the last French country houses that were built here. And it has no covered parking and that it has no garage, obviously. And that poor house is just sitting out there, you know, and, and, and nobody wants it because they can't, you know, like, where are you going to store your stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of base it, even though California and Memphis are different markets price point wise, you know, the human psychology, I, I think is the same. And I think that, you know, um, after hearing clients out here, you know, it's garages are huge because even if you're not going to park your car in there, you know, people always have more stuff than they have room and stuff. So it's like just having the options. I remember when I first started looking six years ago, there were some properties in like central Memphis that have like the laundry area outside in the carport area. And I'm like, look, I don't want that either because it's like, uh, and I, I relate that to the equivalent of houses out here having laundry in the garage. And sometimes, you know, when I hear people going, uh, when I'm showing buyers around, I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to the garage for laundry. I want it in the house. I just associate that with the same thing with Memphis. Like, who wants to go out when it's snowing to get clean underwear from your dryer when it's 40 to you know, 20 degrees out and stuff like that? So I just basically take my knowledge here and say, what, what's the most desirable? And the most desirable is going to be a you know, two-car garage. It's single story is going to cater to not only uh, the younger people that want a house, but it's also going to cater to older people that don't want to climb stairs or anything like that. So single story, it's cool because it, it caters to more people. Having a yard to just stretch your uh, legs out and stuff and not feel crammed, to have kids play around and stuff. And then you know, again, the brick facade where there's not wood rot and damage and termites and all that stuff. So I just basically take whatever my knowledge is here and just transfer it over to the Memphis properties. Because again, you know, at the end of the day, people want the same stuff, you know, just as people don't want to go in the garage in California, I'm sure people don't want to go out in the cold in Memphis and stuff. And so if we could have an in indoor laundry and they could park their uh, car in the garage and walk in their house with direct access and stuff like that. All that stuff is going to be desirable in my mind uh, for the long term. Yeah. So, you know, th there was a time when you and I were looking at these possible purchases and we found several, you know, you would find, especially back in, in 2015 or so, you would find uh, four or five, you know, comparables in a certain area. And you would say, I'm looking at, at all of these, which one of these do you think would be 
the most reliable? You know, which one of these do you feel like is going to to bring the um, the the highest rents and obviously be the most attractive on the market? And and we used to you know thumb through a rolodex of houses you know that were possible purchases. I know that those purchases have probably become limited as you look in the Memphis marketplace right now. Can you can you kind of compare markets? Let's let's even say from 2019 to now, like what are the difference as an, to to an investor when you're looking at the marketplace now versus two years ago? Well, I mean, the one thing that two years ago, I think that you know the the proper the the, the good properties and stuff like that. From what I saw two years ago, something would go like maybe 5,000 over the asking. So if it's listed at like 149, because up to last year, it seemed like 150,000 was like the ceiling of what these properties could yield that, that would fit what I'm looking for. But over the past couple of years, it seemed like 150 now is kind of the minimum and it's kind of surpassed that. So I saw the prices increase. But what another thing I've seen is, whereas two years ago, where if a property was like 149, it would sell for you know 156 or 155. It go 5,000, 6,000 over and stuff like that. Where I, I just wrote an offer on another property, and um, that the highest offer with multiple offers was 30,000 over the asking price, wow. and that just blew my mind because I was like, "Are you kidding me? That's 20% over." the asking price and stuff like that. So that's something that is new to me that I've seen is buyers in the Memphis market are aggressively going over asking, whereas a couple of years ago, they might go over asking, but it would be five, six grand, seven grand, maybe, maybe eight, nine grand, but not 30 grand. That, that was just unheard of or anything. So that's the one thing I've seen. But given that my background is real estate, I also have strategies that I could separate myself to where I can call the shots. Like, so for instance, when I wrote the offer, I was like, look, remove the appraisal contingency. I get it. I understand the terms. And I was like, put an escalation clause in, which says I'll pay 3000 over the highest verifiable offer and stuff like that. And that's where the listing agent came back and said, Hey, we have an offer of 30,000 over the asking price. And I said, I'm out. You know what I mean? But it gave me the opportunity to know, what I needed to be at, as opposed to the listing agent just saying, oh, you didn't get it, we chose someone else. So there's different strategies that I use here that I use there um, that really stands out uh, to the seller. And, and that escalation clause is, is great because, you know, it, it, it just, it, you know, why not have a seller get $3,000 more with no appraisal contingency and stuff like that. So again, you know, if I could separate myself and write a more aggressive offer, I'm in the, the know of the risk and rewards and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's all little strategies here and there that at least put you in the running to see if you want it at that price. Right. Well, so do you put a cap on your escalation clause? I don't, you know, I don't because I could just walk away. Like when the person said we had 30,000 over the asking price, I'm like, I'm out. But the thing is, it's like, I've seen when you put a cap, they know exactly where you're at. And so they know exactly where your cap is. And, you know, you could tell it, say I put uh, offer 150 with a 3000 escalation up to 160. Um, you know, if someone comes in at 162, I'll never hear about it. So it's like, I'd rather not put a cap. And if an offer comes in at 161, they might say, hey, you know, we had an offer at 161, you want to come in at 164. So I don't want to lose a house over two or three grand or anything like that. But when you put a cap in, you're kind of putting a ceiling on your place. So I would rather have no ceiling. And, and, and that also makes it difficult for the listing agent to know exactly where you're at. 
Because if you put a cap on it, the listing agent knows exactly what you're willing to come up to. If you put no cap, he's kind of flying blind to what he's advising the other buyer's agents of where, where my offer's at. So how are you financing your deals right now? I'm financing it with my own cash, uh, 25% down. So $150,000 property probably takes about 30 G's, probably 30, 35 with closing costs and stuff like that. So 35 grand gets another property. So you've got, I assume a line of credit or are you doing individual mortgages on each property? Individual mortgages. So having said that, um, and I know that you're probably going conventional and not, not FHA. And so you don't, you don't have to deal with the, um, all of the federal requirements for houses to close. And, and then now, you know, you've got repair addendums and you've got, you know, all these other things that you have to deal with, with a, with an FHA loan that you don't have to deal with, with conventional. So now we know your financing game does appraisal matter to you. It does to a certain point. I mean, I think that I'm experienced enough to look at a property, look at what's sold around it and kind of like have a pretty good idea of where this thing's going to appraise at. So like the third, the one that I was just talking about earlier, the one that came in 30,000 over, I'm out of that one, you know, but if it came in 5,000 over 6,000 over and stuff like that, I'm not too concerned about it. I mean, even if it doesn't appraise by a couple thousand bucks, I understand you got to pay to play and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, if it costs me a couple thousand extra bucks out of pocket, it's just, it's not a scarcity mindset. It's an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. And I already know that, you know, I'm going to make the money back tenfold with just having another property because my main thing is keeping my momentum going and keep growing the portfolio and pushing myself to keep adding to it and keep adding to it and keep adding to it. So like, I, I think I'm a good mix between uh, looking at the numbers and being number conscious and stuff, but then also understanding, hey, you know, this is a good property. Um, it's a good property. It's in a good area. If I have to pay an extra two, three, four thousand bucks to get it, it's the name of the game. You know, I, I already know that I'll make it back and stuff like that in the next month with all the other incomes I have coming in and stuff. And it just, and it, it gets me one property closer to my goal of financial freedom and stuff. So it's just taking the abundance mindset and not the scarcity mindset, because if, you know, if you're dealing with the scarcity mindset in anything in life, you're always going to be hesitant and pulling the trigger and stuff. And, you know, it's just one of those things where being in this industry has really helped me out making these decisions and stuff. Because again, you know, I deal with a bunch of buyers out here where they find the property of their dreams and they're scared to do a couple thousand bucks, but they're paying 3000 a month in rent. And it's like, look, just bite the bullet and just take a leap of faith and stuff like that. So if it matches everything and it's single story with a two-car garage and it's upgraded, because then I also look at, okay, say, I, say I, I don't get a house as upgraded as this, what's the cost of the rent-ready one? And that's like the other one I canceled on earlier this year. It's like by the time the fence around the whole perimeter was done, cutting back the bushes, getting the the wood trim of the deck repaired and stuff like that. Right. It, it, you know, as opposed to getting a property that's completely upgraded and spending an extra three or four or 5,000 bucks because it didn't appraise, but not really putting any money into it because it's completely upgraded. I can quickly do the pros and cons and the risk and reward of that. And the one that we were uh, talking about may have only been a month ago. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was, a, it was, it was, it was in September. Yeah. It was Southeast Memphis is where we were looking and that house had zero updates it was really disappointing and um and you were really smart 
to pull out of that one. I mean, the just updating a, a home in 2019 dollars, you're looking at ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And so, yeah. you know, and we've we've got delays now. We've got supply chain interruptions. I don't think we've necessarily seen the effects of the hurricanes in the New Orleans area affect us as badly as we thought was going to happen. But we had a hurricane come through about a month ago, and it hit the Glidden Paint Factory. Um, uh, hopefully I can say that on air and not, not have any issues, but the Glidden paint factory basically had stockpiled, you know, paint as they always do. Um, and the base paint and primer and, and things like that. But they basically, uh, the hurricane flooded, uh, the entire factory. And they said, look, we can ship out what we've got and we can ship the base solution out to other refineries and paint makers so that they can finish, you know, the base product and 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 move that out. But they were talking about a 30 to 45 day retrofit. Um, and so we were going to have paint shortages and all of the Lowe's and all the Home Depot's and, you know, all these stores. Um, so my painters, a lot of my painters, they just stockpiled paint. They just said, we're going to we're, we're a Glidden company. We're going to buy up this paint and we're going to make sure that we have some in case there's a shortage so that they could continue to work through the winter. So anyway, that's just a random thing that's happening here in the South. So you've, we know what you like and we know what you've purchased. How do you foresee the changes in the marketplace, if if we take the whole foreclosure opportunity out of there, and I think that that's something that you and I really need to investigate at a different time. But um, what are you looking at now? Because we know what was on the market that was really great, that was rehabbed before. We know what's currently on the market, which really is not upgraded without a huge premium in the ask. Um, and we know that you're not going to overpay. And I respect that. I'm not going to overpay either. I'm not going to do it. Um, I'll pay above a little bit, you know, for the, for the joy of owning it and operating it and say, okay, I've got my one or my two for this year, but I'm not going to, you know, waste 50 grand, you know, just for the, the, the opportunity cost. That's not good opportunity cost. So if you're, I think you, do you, did you buy one this year already? Do we have one under your belt? Uh, not this year. I'm going to be aggressively looking around November when November and, uh, the last two years I've closed in December of that year. So like, Last year, I closed December 31st, and then I think the, the year before that, I closed right around uh, Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So I'm uh, going to be aggressively looking in the next two or three weeks to be uh, looking again, of uh, picking up my one for the year, and then continuing to just push and push and push and you know, even exploring the multi-units with you and stuff like that. So just, just open to, uh, always open to pull the trigger if the right property comes along. That's cool. Just so that, you know, um, Glenn has got a couple in the bag right now that just came across, uh, today, like in the last two hours and they're both Cordova. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exciting because we don't get Cordova a lot anymore, but these two are, they're slightly distressed. I, you know, just marginally, I would say two to four percent distressed and that two to four percent and of the value of the house itself i would say is cosmetic so that's cool you know and, and that's just proof right there to anybody listening there's always an opportunity out there if you're willing to have a conversation right you've got to be open to having conversations with people you cannot do this on your own you know when you listen to todd and me talk right now you're listening to two realtors and so earlier in our conversation, you know, Todd was talking about um, how not trusting your realtor can get you into a lot of trouble. 
Um, you know, realtors go through a lot of education. We go through a lot of continuing education, you know, being the principal broker of enterprise property management and EPM real estate. I am, I have to take so much more education than even my agents. You know, I have to constantly be paying attention to, um, the the news uh, that comes down from our local state real estate association and from national association real, uh, of realtors and uh, and really you know know what's going on and so your realtor is being paid a commission for their performance. Todd is a performer. There's no question, and he looks for the similar performance with us. You know, even though our markets are completely different, he asks me very high end questions, high level questions um, that he is asked. You know, as a realtor every day, he wants to know as the buyer, you know, what am I getting myself into? What's my risk here? You know, what do you think about this? What's your opinion? Um, What would your experience suggest would be the proper course of action at this time? And then he relies on my uh, the information, my feedback um, and my insight in order to make his decision. And I love the fact that he uh, bases a lot of his decisions based on what I convey to him, not just his gut. Um, So that's just so important. Listen to your realtor. There's a a reason why you've hired them. So anyway, uh, just to sort of ask you a couple of questions, um, just to kind of wrap up where we are. And it's been a great conversation with you. Your finger is on the pulse of what's happening in California. And uh, I think California is, is kind of a leader in what happens in real estate, really, in, in the rest of the United States. You know, I mean, you guys are, are sort of on the top end of fluctuations in the national real estate market. Um, what happens in California often informs the rest of the country as to what's wh- where the real estate market is headed. You got some weird stuff going on over there where, like you were talking about earlier, very inventive, insightful, um, uh, um, imaginative solutions uh, to real estate transactions, lots of technology. The rest of the country, though, like if you stay away from the coasts, we still deal with um, hands on, right? Like we want to go to the property. Glenn that we were talking about before, a lot of my agents will meet the neighbors. My wife, who just became an agent, by the way, um, four months ago, was at a property uh, two days ago, and she was with the buyer who had flown in from New Jersey, and they were looking through the property and who would come out except for the neighbor, right? So they met the neighbor and they and they got to ask those questions, right? Like Like really important questions. What's your experience here? What would you do differently? What do you think about this property that you're next door to? You know, or that do you think they're asking too much? What would you do with this as a rental if you were to, you know, to own it? Is it going to bother you to have a rental next door? You know, what are your expectations of the community and of of the the tenant that leases here? And so, you know, a lot of that's going on. So, so back to my question again: When you consider your own business next year, and you also consider your investment business, what are the changes that you see happening in 2022 that you are aware of that you're going to be maybe? shifting gears a little bit in, in order to respond to? And then how does that affect your investment outlook for 2022? I, I just think that there's two, there's so many moving parts right now that all the statistical, previous, historical data, I think it goes out the window. You know, we have a, a, a pandemic going on. You have inflation talk. You have uh, stock market talk, interest rate talk, treasury bond talk, jobless talk, uh, just uh, you got the borders that are going crazy around the country. You got other countries that are going crazy. So it's one of those things where I just put my head down. I just put my head down and do everything I can and uh, just do better than the year before that and, and not really sway. 
you know, I always think of Warren Buffett where he said, you know, when everyone's scared, you go head first and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I've been doing even in the stock market right now. Like all this talk of inflation and this, that, and the other thing, I've just been continuing to buy and just continuing to buy and continuing to buy uh, stock and properties I feel like are going to be, you know, in the future, um, very productive and stuff like that. And I'm getting into electric vehicle materials, raw materials. I'm getting into cannabis stocks. I'm getting into Carnival Cruise Line and United Airlines and Royal Caribbean and cell phone towers because of the 5G with electric cars and stuff. So, you know, it's just basically doing you and uh, not really letting outside factors get in the way because, I mean, there's there's times where, I've seen time and time again, people that I spoke to in my career five years ago, six years ago, two years ago, like, oh, the market's still going to dip. So I'm waiting here and they're trying to time the market. And, you know, they said that four years ago. And it's, I remember I spoke to a tenant four years ago and I was like, look, man, you know, get in. And and he was so gung-ho that he was getting a good deal on his rental. Whereas just say the market value was like 2000 bucks he was getting charged like 1600 and he felt like he was winning the lotto because he wasn't paying market rent. And that hindered him to buy a property because he was looking at the perfect property and this, that, and the other thing. And that didn't come along. And then all of a sudden another year goes on and that, and then nothing came. And then another year. And before you know it, if he would have bought four years ago, he would have had like 200 grand equity in this property and stuff like that. And it's like, and you fast forward and he's still been renting, no tax write-offs, so a lot of people look at outside factors of the market's going to dip and this and the other thing. And I just go with my plan. And my plan is, you know, at the end of the day, I want to have 50 properties by the time I retire. And if you really look at real estate, it might go down. You know what I mean? Look at 2009 when everyone thought the world was going to end in California. And then you fast forward to 2020 and they're above water again. And all the people that held on to their house and was okay with a 30-year fixed rate at that number paid and paid and paid and now have equity and now are above water and and you know the world didn't end and all the people that short sailed their house and gave up on it and thought that it didn't make sense to pay a mortgage on an eight hundred thousand dollar house when it's only six hundred and they ruined their credit and they paid for rentals and this that and the other thing and they're letting outside factors screw them up um it, it just it, it impacts you so much so i have a big ideology of like make a goal and just, you know, whatever the factors are, just make an educated decision and stuff like that. But I'm not slowing down whatsoever because I already know that even if I buy a property that's 180 or 190 in Memphis and it goes down a little bit, by the time I retire and stuff, I'm not looking at it to sell it. I'm looking at it as a, as a investment passive income. You know, I want to have about 50000 a month uh, when I retire coming into me from all my rental incomes and stuff like that. And so if rent's going to go up over the next 20 years and I'm cool with this payment and it makes sense now, then I do it. I don't try to time stuff. It's just, it's one of those things where there's so many factors with COVID numbers, China defaults of evergreen. You got, uh, the chip shortage, you got inflation, you got interest rates. There's so many factors that you could pick one and be like, Oh, I can't, you know, this is really going to happen. But you, you know, if I just do me, I've done that all the time. And, you know, I lead with what my goals are and it seems to work out, you know, because at the end of the day, I don't, I don't let fear get in the way. I just say, you know what, if I, if I pay this and it goes down, cause I, I also have that talk with my buyers and they're like, well, what if the market goes down 30 K? I'm like, well, let me ask you this. If you buy a house and it goes up 30 K, you're going to sell it. 
And they're like, no. I'm like, then don't sell it if it goes down 30K. I'm like, you understand that if you're cool with the monthly payment, you're fine, right? And it's like a stock. You could buy a Tesla stock or go Bitcoin even. You know, Bitcoin was 40K. It went down or 45K. It went down to, uh, I think last week, 30K. And now this week it's at 65K. So did the people really lose 10K or did they really gain 20K or are they still cool with what they got and only sell, you know, only makers or lose money when they sell it and stuff like that. And when I'm buying these properties, I'm not looking to flip these things. I'm looking at, at my future 50 year old self. And when I'm 50 and it's, you know, what, uh, 2040 or 41, am I really going to care that I spent, uh, you know, 170 on a, on a property that the next year was 160, or am I going to be happy that I got 50 properties and stuff like that? And they're all paying for each other and stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's always coming from a place of abundance and not scarcity. And the people that I've seen live their life on scarcity are, are the people that don't live a good life. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think that there are a lot of people that make decisions out of fear. And um, I was reading an article about whether or not we we have a balanced economy or an imbalanced economy. And they, you know, this article that I read gave a lot gave a lot of um, different ideas as to whether or not it was an economy that was based in greed or fear. You know, which are the animal spirits which drive the stock market. And uh, basically, it it said it stated that there was more greed than there was fear. Which was, you know, which which is a good thing. It's a market that's a little out of balance. It's a little looking to, to the positively, expecting that um, that things will, you know, be ever better. And there's a lot of risk that people are taking out there. But at the same time, there's a lot of cash that people have right now. And and we've seen that in California real estate for sure. As I've said previously, that ripple effect has gone all the way down. Uh, to places like Memphis, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Cedar Rapids, you know, other cities that are very popular for um, real estate investment. And so I definitely agree with you. You know, I, real estate to me is a buy and hold venture. I think a lot of people, they they watch HGTV and they think, you know, I could flip this house. Um, they watch Chip and Joanna Gaines or the Property Brothers or several new shows out there. I obviously don't watch HGTV because I don't know the name of the new shows, you know, but they've got these new shows out there that are like, you know, People that are out there flipping houses and they're making money. My favorite shows are the shows where they do show people that lose money. And then they ask them at the end of the episode, they say, are you like, does this change, you know, your faith in the, in the market? Or are you, are you, because you lost money on this deal? You know, some people get their, their shirts handed, you know, handed to them, you know, they're, and, and they lose, you know, that $30,000 or that $40,000 on a venture that was supposed to make them a hundred thousand dollars, whatever, because they tried for the fast money. Right. I really appreciate your perspective in real estate. And I will say this one last thing. We've had so many houses sell out of the uh, enterprise property management portfolio over the last two years. I would say it's at least 200 houses that have left my uh, management portfolio. That is a lot uh, for a property manager to lose in two years. Simultaneously, we have had at least 300 houses come on over the last two years. So there are more people getting in similar to you, Todd, than there are people getting out. That's a big deal. I hope our listeners are hearing that. I really appreciate you and your perspective on investment real estate and your partnership with all of this. And I am looking forward to working with you um, as we, as the leaves, you know, change color and as they fall, things get cold around here. People not want to buy so much. I think there's going to be, you know, opportunity here this, this winter, this fall and winter, and then into next year, it's, it's going to be great. So I really appreciate you coming on with us and, and sort of sharing some of your energy about uh, investment real estate and how 
you've applied that here in Memphis and we're grateful to you as an investor and as a friend. Yeah, man, no, I appreciate all the insight that you give. And uh, it's an, it's invaluable too, because again, you know, the big picture is to have this for my retirement and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you really are the last, um, you know, the last line of pulling the trigger and stuff like that, you know, even down to a potential tenant where, you know, one of your uh, staff was like, Hey, Todd, we got these people. And I said, Hey, if Aaron's cool with it, I am. And you came back and you're like, I'm not really comfortable with this. <laughs> you know, I, I value all that because again, um, what, what your ideal client is, is completely different than what California ideal client is. And so I could, I could go and kind of base it on what the ideal California landlord's looking for. And it's going to be different than the Memphis landlord. And so I really value your guys's opinion um, and just the raw, you know, truth of it and stuff like that. And so that's all stuff that I, I appreciate you doing. And, you know, I, I think that we got a good system going on. I'm looking forward to many more purchases. I'm grateful for that. Uh, thank you for that. I, uh, interestingly, I, we're seeing the quality of the m- local Memphis and Southern tenant coming up, which is which is unbelievable. Um, you know, that's, it's a really good sign of the local economy and the local demographics doing better. They're more successful in their own business ventures and with their education. You had mentioned major corporations, which have, you know, relocated to Memphis and are now employing more people. That of course is going to continue. You and I didn't even have a chance to talk about the Ford, um, uh, F-150 lightning plant. Um, that's coming in uh, to the Memphis area. It's a really cool concept and we could talk about it later. Basically, Ford had a plant here in Memphis that built Model T's and Model A's and, you know, all kinds of of, uh, Ford vehicles, you know, here in the Memphis area all the way up until 1951, I think they sold uh, at that time. And then now here we are 70 years later, 75 years later, they're breaking ground, I believe, next year on the Ford uh, F-150 Lightning uh, platform, which is all electric. So, uh, and this nice. is, yeah, this is just outside of Memphis. And so it's going to mean, you know, lots of great jobs and new housing, housing developments and stuff like that. So anyway, I, we're going to walk through that together and see what kind of opportunities are out there. But, um, I, thanks again for coming on and, um, I appreciate your insight as well. It's always very informative and helps me to, to even educate, uh, other investors as to how to do things based on, um, your knowledge and your experience. So thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at EPMRealEstate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc.